And now it's time for Living Large and Hard. Hi. Welcome to Living Large and Hard. This is part of an ongoing series called Brushes with Fame. I don't know why the fuck it has happened that I've run into so many people who would be considered celebrities and or famous by some, not everyone, not everyone. I just have large part of it's being um, in New York City a lot makes it much easier. If you're in, say, Holt, Michigan, yeah, good luck when running into anybody famous. Let me give a shout out to uh, that toilet sitting, pug anally raping, disgusting person, Grim. Thank you for your support and um, for helping promote Living Large and Hard. Appreciate it very much. And all you people who listen regularly, thank you very much. Please spread the word. Or don't. I mean, you fucking want to do, I don't care. Living Large and Hard, there's also a Facebook page that is um, an adjunct to this broadcast. It's not really, you know, podcast. And I'll throw things up there. I'll throw links or pictures. You know, some weird-looking people like um, Tilda Swinton, uh, the picture in my head, scaring Lord while she's on stage, looking like um, one of the one of the uh, statues from Easter Island, you know, glistening in the sun with a, a young, talented person in front of them, gesturing in a witch-like manner. So. Uh, with this one, this is going to be one of the mother load situations where there just happened to be a locus, no, not a locust, a locus of famous fuckers. And I just happened to be there. But before I get to that, what I would like to do is um, a little mop up work. Some people that came to mind after I'd done other episodes. So I'm just going to roll these guys out now. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, let's get to it. The first one would be the first one, first famous person I ever saw. I worked room service at the Hospitality Motor Inn where I met Gary Gump. Uh, why is he called Gary Gump? Because like Forrest Gump, he's involved in pretty much everyone's life, at least in the Lansing, Michigan area. And um, HMI, Hospitality Motor Inn, has also been mentioned in Elevator Adventures 1 and in a couple other podcasts. So I was doing room service there, and I went to this room, knock on the door. Uh, I was told, come in, because the door is unlocked. I walk in the room, there's nobody in the room. What there is, is a third of a bottle of Jack Daniels and a glass and an open door to another room. And I go into the other room and there's a, uh, uh, a black man in late middle age with a bathrobe sitting on the bed with very spindly legs, uh, salt and pepper hair, mustache, uh, what appears to be, to my trained eye, 
even at that young age, I, I knew these things. I would have been probably 17, maybe 18, either way. Uh, a raging hangover, uh, the evidence of which I was thinking it was hangover, not merely illness, would have been that mostly destroyed bottle of Jack Daniels in the other room, pride of place by itself with its own room. And uh, said this person was sitting on the edge of the bed and looking much the worse for wear. And then I realized that it was Coleman Young, the mayor of Detroit. And I was a little, I was a little starstruck by that. First time I'd encountered anyone famous. Oh, there's the Pistons basketball guys, but that was different. Um, this was just running. You know, I went to see the Pistons basketball guys and ended up playing against them, which you've heard another one. If you've heard it, if you haven't, if you're listening to these later, then you're listening to them backwards from the way I did them, and you're going to hear about it. And it was not a spoiler alert, because it doesn't fucking matter. So anyway, that was Coleman Young with one hell of a hangover, and his, um, his mid-height throw pushed off to one side, and uh, life kind of pushed off to the other, because... Obviously, the man tied it on last uh, the night before. Now, another one, person I ran into, and I didn't even know it, who the fuck they were, until I was informed afterwards. And the, in, God, again with the mouth. Good thing I don't get paid to do this, because I would probably get paid what I make doing this, which is nothing. So anyway. When I was told who the person was that I had been talking to, I didn't really believe it until I happened to see them on television later. A picture of them, let me put it that way. So, one of my absolute favorite places, not, not even to drink in, because I don't drink anymore, but I still go there, and not even uh, favorite bars, I still go to bars, but famous Oh, Jesus. Favorite places in the world is McSorley's in New York City, down by St. Mark's Place. I've been there many, many times. Um, I could probably, now that I think of it, do a, a, a short podcast about things that have happened when I was there. And the best time to go was on a weekday and early in the day because otherwise it can be absolutely fucking mobbed to the point where it's not enjoyable in the least. Now this place opened in 1854 and there are things on the wall that have been there since probably 1854. I mean, you can't even tell what they are. Just like a sheet of paper that's completely black because it's been there so long. There's uh, campaign buttons. There's things about... Abraham Lincoln news articles. There's a, what, two muskets? Something like that. There's um, a cold stove, a popular cold stove. There's sawdust on the floor. There's the swinging saloon doors when you come in. There's been at least one cat when I've been there. I'm not sure if it's been the same cat. Cat hanging out. If you go when it's not busy. There is no cash register. There's just a pile of money in a box. 
There are two kinds of beer. There's lights and darks. Mix early's light, mix early's dark. And the beer tenders, if they bring them out to you, can carry, I believe, 10 in each hand. These little eight ounce glass mugs. They're about half full of foam, half full of beer. And you hear this clink, 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 and that's them arranging them all so they can carry 10 in each hand and take them out to the various tables. Because when you order one, you get two. So you're not so pissed about it being half foam. Um, great place. Highly recommended. So I'm sitting there, and I'm with Danny Boy. And uh, we're sitting at one of the tables. Table that's got stuff... Um, chipped into it, carved into it. Also, tabletops are exceedingly thin because over the decades and the, over a century, they've been worn thin from uh, the friction of elbows and forearms and glasses. Smooth and soft and thin. Uh, kind of like me. So then we're talking, and we start talking to this guy at the next table, Older gentleman, glasses, heavy set. Uh, seems to be well known there, which isn't surprising because if he's a local, then that's his local bar. Talk to him a bit. Talk to him about Ireland, going to Ireland, about not about driving, not driving. He says, "Of course I don't drive because I live here." Okay, if you say so. Didn't know you lived here, and. Um, when we left, Danny Boy said, that's the general manager of the New York football giants. I went, huh. Didn't know. Didn't really care. Not into organized sports at all. Um, and I, I was still skeptical about it. And then I was somewhere. I was in another bar, because otherwise I would not have had sports on my own personal viewing device. But lo and behold, I think it was when the guy died, there was a picture of the gentleman that I was talking to in McSorley's. And yes, indeed, he was the general manager of the New York football giants. And it was interesting because from my perspective, looking to my left at him, um, the picture that they showed when he died was from the same angle. So I went, well, thanks for making it easy for me. So I wanted to get those two in the mix because I'd thought of them uh, well after I'd started this and didn't slot them in the other categories like sports or, um, I don't know where Coleman Young would have fit. Crooked politicians with a drinking problem? All right, let's say he got his own slot right there at the beginning of this one. Now what we're going to go on to is, like I said, a mother load of... Um, yeah, I guess not that many, but one of those things that, man, I'm glad I was there because it doesn't sound real, but it really happened. And I just happened to be there because I made a decision and it worked out great. So what this is, in 1996, there was a blizzard here in Allentown. I was not living at the Skybox. I was living at Regency Towers, which also was high above Allen. This was high above Lee, Little Lehigh Creek. 
not high above 309, so it was much quieter. It wasn't all that goddamn traffic that you're hearing now. And um, I worked at a, a hotel downtown that has since gone, but from the, from the roof of which, uh, there was a sinkhole when I moved here that ate an office building. This place is rife with sinkholes. It's the karst, the limestone karst under the ground. So uh, the water eats away at the limestone, opening up caverns who knows where. And had one in my house. Uh, there's been houses near my house, the one I used to own, the mini mansion. And if you didn't have insurance, and, you know, the front of your house buckled down a foot, six inches. That's the end of your house. Mine, I was told, was not actually a sinkhole. It was normal subsidence, which they usually don't cover. But because I had a nice house and I was taking care of it, they said they took care of the problem. And it was $66,000, but totally covered by insurance. So anyway... And this is right when I moved here. There was at that time there was a serial killer, and and a, and a fucking sinkhole that eats a, a new office building. So I'm like, this place is banging. None of this shit happens back home. So I went up on the roof when they were going to implode this building. I was breakfast cook, which is also the same time that this uh, blizzard happened. So. I knew when they were going to blow the thing up, and I ran up to the roof of the uh, hotel, which is like six, seven stories tall, because the office building was a few blocks away, and I got to see him blow that sucker in. That was cool. So the hotel at the time was a Hilton, and this blizzard in 96 remains to this day the second greatest snowfall amount in Allentown history in 24 hours. 26 inches. I worked as a doorman at the building I lived in. So I was sitting at the front and I would occasionally take a... Um, I was working during this blizzard. I would occasionally take a ruler and stick it in the snow and just be amazed at how fast it was piling up, you know, an inch in an hour. and that. So after that, I had to work the next morning at the hotel. I was breakfast cook. I'm going to take a little pause here and wet my whistle because it ain't going well. Cheers. That's me hitting the microphone, the fuzzy thing on it with the, with the glass of water. And my nose is running. I know, gross. Flew it in, flew it out. So I had to go to work the next day. I had to be there at five. I was done with my doorman shift at four, which was actually in the, the, the teeth of the blizzard. And I, what I decided to do was just to go into work because my uh, the second ex Mrs. Living Large and hard work there as well, and she'd already gotten her room and uh, didn't even come home. So she just worked, and she would do that often. She would get a room and just stay, and because other people wouldn't go in, she would just work day after day after day. So there was already a room that was had, 
And I decided it made more sense just to go in early the day before and get a good night's sleep and then I could get up and be at my shift at five. So I got done and put my uh, backpacking backpack on and jammed it all full of stuff and trudged on over right down the middle of the road in the snow because there was a advisory out that if you got caught driving, it was some big fine, like 300 bucks. So no cars out. It was really cool and trudged the mile to work. And I get there and I open the doors to the lobby and I hear a cacophony of happiness. And I went, hmm. I mean, it makes sense. People are stuck in a hotel, so the bar is going to be popping. So um, I went to the front desk and I said, yeah, uh, I'm here, Carrie's husband. And they go, oh, she's in the bar. So I went, oh, okay. I was just going to get the key and go up. So I wandered in and man, shit was popping. There were people, it was standing room only, way over capacity. And just the din, the joyous din that was coming out of that place that amplified six or seven fold when I opened the door. Uh, it was really cool. So I go in, uh, get the keys from her, look around, reconnoiter a bit, run upstairs, drop my shit, the backpack, take my coat off, go back downstairs, and uh, pull up a seat at the bar. Now, any employee that was there was drinking for free, which, in my case, probably didn't work out well for him. So I'm there, and I... Uh, Behind me, very hard to miss, is Shaquille O'Neal sitting at a table, drinking wine out of the bottle, out of the 750 milliliter bottle. And I was told that was about his fifth by the time I got there. And to relieve himself, he would just go out this other set of doors that looked over the main street there and uh, unfurl his anaconda cock and let her fly right there. So I'm glad I didn't go in that door. Um, so Penny's there, Penny Hardaway. The rest of the Orlando Magic. What had happened is they got grounded before they got to Philly. Philly Airport closed, so they landed here in Allentown. And stayed at the, at the Hilton. There was also a couple of guys running around with uh, long, multicolored hair. And one had these weird contacts in. They made their eyes look gray. And it was Marilyn Manson and Twiggy. There was also a couple of wedding parties. And there was also the cast from Sesame Street Live. It was an interesting mix. Unfortunately, I'd gotten there too late to hear everybody singing um, a Sesame Street theme song. But I did get to see... Marilyn, Twiggy, and Shaq go out with a roll of toilet paper to play football in the street, which had been plowed because we were right across the street from the headquarters to the Pennsylvania Power and Light skyscraper, which was a stand-in in a Japanese horror movie in the 80s, by the way, for the Empire State Building. And got to see Shaq jump up, let me put it this way, attempt 
to jump up on the mound of snow between the sidewalk and the street and get stuck and fall over on his back. Um, but then extricate himself and go out and throw the toilet paper roll football around with Twiggy and Marilyn a little bit and then come back in and, and drink a couple more bottles of 750 millilitres of wine. So anyway, my, my grand plan to get in there early and um, get some rest. That didn't work out. I think I went to sleep at 3.30. So I got, a, you know, an hour and 45 minutes. But was it worth it? Fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, and then uh, when they finally, then the word got out that all these people were at the hotel and there's, you know, crowds of civilians, I guess, the next day. I got done with my shift and walked back home and had a balcony. I lived on the 11th floor and enjoyed the absolute quiet of the city shut down because traffic, other than snowplows, traffic was banished and the airport was as good as closed. So it was really cool. I tried to go around the park that was down below the, the apartment building, but it was too deep. Too deep even for my six foot three ass. I couldn't get down in there. Um, interestingly enough, when the Magic finally made it to their next game, Shaq didn't play. He was injured. Why was that? Because he tripped to go out and fucking throw a toilet paper roll with Marilyn Manson. I knew that. Certainly didn't make the newscast. Um, I have searched high and low. It used to be, I mean, I had actually seen it when it came on, and it was actually available somewhere online on YouTube. But Kurt Loder on MTV News mentioned the, uh, the thing that I just talked about, this whole serendipitous mob scene in the Allentown Hilton and equated it to the Star Wars scene in uh, uh, the saloon scene in Star Wars, which eh, I think that was pretty, that's pretty right on the head. But now I can't, I can't find it. I mean, it may still be out there somewhere, but last time I looked for it. So I won't be putting a link up to that. I won't be putting any links up on this one, actually. But what I do is I want to link my heart to yours and thank you. Thank you. Thank you deeply for listening. Because that's why I do it. And why would I say this shit? It's already in my head. There's no point putting it out there unless someone listens to it. So thank you for the feedback. Like I said, Grim, the pug fucker. Uh, Connie Whitebread, Bobas, of course. And Jeannie Creaney, all my regular listeners. Glad to have you aboard. Anyone new? I see people popping in from all over the world, and usually they pop right the fuck back out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame them. I don't know if I would listen to this. Um, so living, living large and hard on any podcast platform. You can get a hold of me through SoundCloud if that's what you're listening on. You can go to the Facebook page. You can go to Living Large and Hard. DM me on Instagram, which has nothing to do with this. But I like the Living Large and Hard brand. And from high above Route 309 here in Allentown, Pennsylvania, on a snow-free day. Let's listen to some traffic. And bye.